Welcome to the Live Your Dance podcast. My name is Molly King, and I'm a former corporate working girl turned author, dancer, and coach. Each week, we come together to celebrate someone who has found their metaphorical dance and listen to their insights in order to inspire you to find and live your dance. Thanks again for tuning in and joining me today. Now, let's dance. How's it going, everybody? This is a beautiful day to listen in on this episode. Tashina Beckman is one of my closest friends in the dance community, and I'm so grateful that we were finally able to get her on the show. And not only is she an amazing dancer, but she's gotten into some really pivotal work that ends up creating massive change in people's lives. She's able to look at a core system of beliefs that anyone holds and really figure out, are these helping or not helping someone, and then how to change that. So we dive a little bit into that process, and she's actually given us a gift of a step-by-step how-to, how to change your beliefs into being something that can really help you. And we dive into what beliefs she has struggled with and how she changed those and how she's created now the life of a professional dancer that she's always wanted to live. So without further ado, let's hop into it and let's hear Tashina's story on how to break through limiting beliefs. Well, I am so pumped to have my good friend Tashina Beckman on today on the Live Your Dance podcast. She actually, she and I connected back in Denver when we both lived here many years ago, and I was getting into a dance called West Coast Swing, and she happened to be already working on her dance. And since then, we've been able to follow each other's journeys and connect along the way. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, Tashina's one of the most thoughtful, inspiring, and humble people, as well as being an extremely hard worker and being dedicated to her vision, which I'm so inspired by. And that's one one of the many reasons why I wanted her on the show today. So we're going to dive into her story and hear more about how she got to where she is dancing professionally all around the world, teaching and competing and performing all over. She has inspired tons of people, and I'm so, so grateful to have her on the show today. Tashina, thank you so much for being on. Absolutely. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I'm sure there are probably many dancers listening to this, but there are also going to be many people who don't know who you are and what you do. So if you could give us kind of the brief overview of where you are right now, and then we'll rewind and get a, how did you get to where you are? But first of all, what are you up to now? And What takes up most of your time? Um, So at the moment, I currently have a professional teaching partner, and he lives in Tennessee, and I live in California, and we are a long-distance partnership, as you can tell. (laughs) And so we spend our time, full-time, traveling and teaching, like you had just said, both domestically in the U.S. and internationally, a dance called West Coast Swing, which is how you and I first met. And so it's a partner dance and it's a really fun type of dance because you get to create what I call pieces of art in about three minutes or less when you're dancing with somebody. It's a very social dance. So there's different aspects to the community of West Coast Swing. There is the competitive side, uh, which my partner and I have a routine. We perform and compete it. But their main life force to West Coast Swing is the social aspect to it. And so many, many people learn this style of dance and attend different workshop weekends and competitive social weekends. And many of us stay up until the wee hours of the morning, (laughs) like 6 or 7 a.m. And we uh, ask, if you're a leader, you go and ask different followers to dance and vice versa. Follower, you go ask a leader to dance. So the main life force, again, is the social aspect where you... Uh, have a random song that comes on and you both partners know the basics to it and then you dance and it's all lead follow and improv in the moment and so you're creating this piece of art 
and it can look many different ways in three minutes and then you thank that person and then you can either dance with them again later on in the evening or see them again in a few weekends. And so that's luckily how you and I, Molly, have been yeah. able to keep in touch is at these events and um, connecting you know, off the dance floor as well. But um, so my partner, PJ, and I, we travel and teach the dance and get to work with many different people from different walks of life. It's lots of fun. Mm -hmm. And in addition to dancing um, full time, I also do uh, subconscious limiting belief change sessions with people. And I'm sure we will get into that later on. Definitely. But I have those two things rocking and rolling in my life. And so that's where I'm at currently. Uh, and what an awesome mix, because I think they definitely complement each other. And uh, do you find that you mix your limiting belief work with teaching dance, either consciously or subconsciously? It is definitely an area where I'm starting to mix the more, I'm starting to mix the two more and more. Uh, as uh, I've worked with people dancing, it's amazing to me how much when people come to a class or they do a private lesson one-on-one, -on -one, how much their personal life and how they live their life comes into dance. Mm -hmm. um, that can show up in many, many different ways. But uh, one example is if I'm watching people during the evening at an event, um, a lot of women, and I, I guess I work more with women, so I tend to notice things a bit more, but same with men. But a woman could be you know, off of the floor and um, she's a little bit timid to go ask a leader to dance. And then a leader will come up, uh, ask her to dance, and they get on the floor. And the woman dances just as timidly as she was waiting for someone off the floor. Mm -hmm. And so the way that um, I've been starting to mix the two is in a private lessons setting especially, um, trying to help people realize where they're personal life approach crosses over into how they dance and using dance as the tool to help them grow from those areas that are a bit more challenging for them. Oh. And so at some events, actually, I've been able to hold a workshop where we actually don't do any dancing and we're, we're sitting down and we're talking about um, you know, what do people find challenging in the dance community? Is it asking people to dance? And if it goes that direction, then we'll start talking about the self-confidence or belief that you're good enough to dance with somebody or the belief that you'll never get anywhere. Well, that, those are all self-limiting beliefs that tend to stem from elsewhere in that person's life. Mm -hmm. So in that avenue, I've been starting to cross over this, the psyche, which is the, the tool that I use to help people with the limiting beliefs. I've been able to bring in the psyche aspect to the dancing, which is really where my heart has begun to shift more mm -hmm. into instead of just full on dancing is implementing the, the subconscious aspect to it. And so I'm loving where that's beginning to go. And it's a very new part of my journey. So I'm still discovering a lot about it. Oh, that's beautiful though. I've, I've had a hunch and I, I, that's, it's so great how we're on the very similar wavelengths mm -hmm. almost each time we meet up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking about doing a book on that idea, that hypothesis that the way we, we dance or the way we go after dance is the way we live our life. Absolutely. And, I mean, if it's, I've heard it said too, in other ways, you know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it all kind of correlates. And if you look at the way, yeah, exactly, how you blossom or if you're tenacious and go after the dance and want to go after everything or if you kind of hold back and you're too shy and, you know, things like that. And and not that any of it actually is bad. I didn't mean to say it No, that way, not at all. It's just it's a, it's a beautiful vehicle to start to be aware of these aspects and then break through mm -hmm. the things that you don't want to. And, and dance is just such a nice – a safe place to kind of explore these different personalities that we have. And I think that's that's beautiful. For those who don't know what Psych K is, could you give us a little overview of that? Sure. Uh, Psych K is a way to change at a subconscious level uh, limiting beliefs or fear-based beliefs. And so a limiting belief would be something like, I don't deserve XYZ. I'm not lovable. And a lot of the time when I'm working with people, 
they aren't even consciously aware of what those specific limiting beliefs are, but they experience in their life things that they aren't happy with or that aren't working or things have taken a turn for the worse. And so when we look at a deeper level as to what's creating their reality, we begin to understand what beliefs are at play hmm. in the subconscious mind. And so all of our beliefs are stored within our subconscious mind. And you can think of it basically as programmed. We're programmed from very early stage in our life, even starting in utero. So to kind of give a, a brief overview, um, when we're in utero, depending on our mother and father's relationship, if the mother is um, pregnant and she's stressed out and she's either fighting with husband or boyfriend or work isn't going well, whatever the life circumstance might be, the woman is having high levels of stress and fight or flight responses to life. And so literally those those feelings, those beliefs, that approach to life is uh, with from different chemicals in the body is surrounding that baby and that environment that the child is developing in. The baby starts to develop in a way to live in that environment. And mm -hmm. so when we're born, we're very much developed in utero um, thinking capabilities if we're able to think through things or if we go to uh, shutting down fight or flight type of mode. And so up until about the age of seven, once we're out into the, the uh, actual physical world, depending on culture and what we hear our parents say and grandparents and the music we listen to, media, all of these beliefs about the world are circling around us. And we don't yet have developed that ability to filter out what will help us and what will not help us. Hmm. So we end up accepting these truths about the world around us based on how we see them demonstrated by parents, culture, and media, etc. And so from there, we enter into adolescence with these beliefs and sometimes schoolwork is harder for us or, you know, as we start to get into teenager and working, we find money to be a challenging thing or relationships are challenging. Um, and quite the opposite. Not everything is always challenging. Sometimes we develop in an environment that's very encouraging and we have beliefs um, transmitted to us that are <laughs> beneficial. Um, but with a lot of what I work with, it's mostly people grew up in an environment that didn't give them beliefs that support them with what they truly want to do and create. And okay. so with Psyche, we're able to then understand what those beliefs are that are limiting them from achieving what they truly want in their life and then literally reprogramming the subconscious mind to operate from a new truth, a new belief mm. and we call those self-enhancing beliefs. Okay. And from there people start to experience a different reality because when we change what's happening on the inside, our outer world changes and so there's lots of um, scientific studies that have been done with Psyche, um, brain mapping that shows literally within um, the processes that we do, the new neural pathways that are created in the brain. So things are at a cellular level are changing internally and that in turn changes our reality, our outward reality. So that's a little bit about Psyche, <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's really empowering, fun work yeah. um, and very different than what is out there and what a lot of people are aware of is available. So. Absolutely. Oh, and I love I love the way you just explained it too, because I've done we've talked about this a lot. I've done similar work with different mm -hmm. programs. And so I'm I'm very much on board. And two things, and then I have a bunch of questions to dive Go into. For it. <laughs> um, but one thing is what's what I love about the work is that even though they do say that most of our beliefs are formed by the age of seven, that this work opens the door back up and says you're never stuck. Absolutely. And that's that's what I love because it doesn't matter if you're 65 and have had an entire life that reinforces certain beliefs. At any moment, you can decide that that's not who you want to be and you can reprogram or I think Tony Robbins called it um, updating the software. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a perfect way to phrase it. Yeah. And it's, yep. you know, like those beliefs might have been true or might have fit in a certain stage, but now you're in a different chapter. And so yes. taking time in each new chapter to sit down and say, wait, is that still true? Is that really true? And 
If so, is that helping me or is that not serving me? And yes. then what can I change my belief to? Because beliefs, beliefs are changeable. They're not a fixed thing. And that's, I love your work and I love what you're doing. And I have a feeling it's going to be helping a lot of people. So um, one thing that I wanted to ask about your own experience with Psyche is, because I think you've been in it for several years now, have you found mm -hmm. that it's been a key guide for helping you get from where you were, which actually, if you don't mind saying, you know, what you were up to before you were professionally dancing and then how it helped or didn't help you shift into where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that working with my beliefs have affected every aspect of where I am now and had, and I truly believe that is what doing the, the work of Psyche is truly what's gotten me to where I'm at. So mm. a little bit of what I was doing prior to teaching with my partner is, I mean, basically, I started dancing at the age of two and a half. <laughs> my mom said I came out dancing. Um, so I've always loved it. And I knew from a very, very young age that that is what I wanted to do. Okay. For me, there was no traditional college in my future. I The thought of it just made me cringe having to sit at a desk and study <laughs> and have that take me away from my passion. So for me, um, the traditional route was never an option. Okay. Um, I wanted to out of high school. Um, I took an accelerated course in high school to even graduate early. Like I was just ready and rearing to go. <laughs> I, was, I was done with the school. I was ready to go explore and experience and get out there. Um, I didn't, like I said, want to go to college. I wanted to, out of high school, actually move to L.A., get an agent, and do different music videos and shows. And I didn't know how that was going to happen, but that's what I thought about. Okay. I grew up dancing at a studio for about, I think it was 12 years or so. Um, and when my parents divorced, I ended up stopping dance for about a year. And uh, that was actually a big time in my life that when I took a year off that I didn't know was going to have such an effect on me later. Mm. And so basically the studio owner, um, who was very, very close to me, um, was helping me through the beginning of the divorce. Um, I looked up to her the entire time I danced at her studio, which was for about 12 years. She was upset that I was leaving the studio uh, mm -hmm. and quitting. And so from her own places of anger and things she was working through that I didn't know about at the time, she told me when I let her know I was not going to be continuing at her studio, she told me, you will never amount to anything as a dancer. Wow. And, uh, you know, 13 years old or whatever it was, I looked up to that mentor and heard, I will never amount to anything as a dancer. And without realizing it, I accepted that as truth. Oh, wow. Because I had looked up to her. She knew what she was talking about. She'd been out in the real world. So I thought, well, if she thinks I can't do it, then I can't. She must know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so, but I didn't give it much thought at the time. It's just, that's what she told me. I stopped dance. And then during that year of dance, I realized I really, or of not dancing, I realized I really, really missed it. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting back into a different uh, studio, dance through high school, and then at high school graduation, my mom had actually reconnected with that old studio owner, who I didn't really care for after that experience. Yeah. But the owner's daughter had participated um, in a program called the Young Americans that lived or was based out of California. Okay. And so my mom told me about it. I had no interest in doing it, but to just please my mom, you know, so she would stop nagging me about it, <laughs> which is what it felt like at the time. She said, well, let's just go out there. Let's see what it's about. See if you like it. If you don't jive with it, then move to LA and, you know, do what you want to do. Okay. okay, mom, I'll go for it. <laughs> so um, I went there and it's a performing arts company and the company is generally out on tour all the time. So there's only one time of the year when they're all together and they were getting ready for a show. And that's when I happened to be visiting. Right. And um, I walked in and I never had felt like I had been at home so much with a group of people. Wow. They... Uh, we're actually singing happy birthday to the founder of the company who was turning, I think, 82 at the time. <laughs> um, they had me stay. I auditioned. And that day yet in the afternoon, they said they had accepted me. 
And I knew right away that that's where I needed to be. Like everything in my core was shaking from a place of excitement, but mm-hmm. yet felt this true groundedness to this is where I needed to, to move to for the next chapter. Amazing. So I was super glad that my mom pushed me <laughs> to just give it a shot. And so that's one of the lessons I learned from that chapter is to always be open to new things, mm. to always try new things. So um, to fast forward a little bit, I was with them several years. I toured and taught in youth prisons, youth rehab centers, at-risk schools. We um, would teach the kids a show, a one-hour show in two days. On the third day, we would perform for them and then with them for their mm. community. And that's truly where I fell in love with traveling and teaching. Okay. And a big chunk that um, really shook me to my core that helped me realize that I loved working with people, not only using the tool of dance, but because it helped them at such a greater level was we actually went to an all-male youth prison in Germany. And first day we walked in there, you know, they were allowed to smoke, so they were blowing smoke in our faces, extremely disrespectful, um, just really hard to work with. None of them wanted to participate. Mm. Um, And long story short, to fast forward, by the end of the third day with the tool of dance, they had been able to realize that they could accomplish something and that when they dug a little bit deeper and had a support team around them, that they could actually believe in themselves and believe that they could accomplish something. And so by the end of the third day when we had to leave um, these guys that were much taller than me and much more, (laughs) if you will, badass than me in many ways, um, were crying, giving me hugs and not wanting us to leave. And that was just a huge transformational moment because I realized how much I loved helping people reconnect with that inner light. Mm. And they can call that inner light whatever you want to call it, but to help them realize their own greatness. Mm. And we've received letters from those uh, particular boys since then, and they've you know really come a long way since we met with them in that youth prison. Wow. So that was a turning point for me. After um, I was with the Young Americans for several years, I went home because my mom was getting remarried. And at that time, um, a friend of mine was taking uh, country dancing and um, needed a partner. So he offered to pay for the classes. So I said, okay, why not? (laughs) And uh, that was my introduction to partner dancing. Oh, okay. And at that time, I decided... The Young Americans had uh, served me incredibly well, um, but a lot of that was there wasn't much growth opportunity for me professionally as a lot of it was a college portion and almost volunteer work um, while at the same time gaining college credit. Mm, And so for me, I wasn't going to be able to stay there and make um, an income because the positions they had for that were were slim and were already filled. So um, once I started the partner dancing, It just seemed to fit. Things lined up. So I moved back to Colorado, got involved with that. And in country, there's eight styles of dance uh, that you do, one of which is West Coast Swing. And so um, during that time, I went to country events competing those eight styles. And then I heard that West Coast Swing had its own style or its own, uh, what do you call it? Circuit? Own circuit. Yes. Thank you. So I went to a circuit in San Diego to an event called Swing Diego, (laughs) and I was there, and again, like I'd experienced with the Young Americans, my core was shaking with excitement and that inner knowing that I had to move. Like, no questions asked. I had to move. This is where I needed to be next. So I said, okay. So I went back (laughs) home after the event. I told my parents I'm moving back to California, and... um, a turning point because I knew with this I'd done enough research that I could make money with it. I could make it a career. I could make it a living. Um, I talked to several people that were traveling, teaching it. And with my prior experience with dancing, I knew that I could go farther with it than I could with uh, the Young Americans. And yeah. so I moved to San Diego. And during the drive out, my dad was helping me move out. We were in a U-Haul truck <laughs> towing my car. And both my parents were entrepreneurs their whole life. So I saw that model to me from a very, very young age. Um, And my dad and I were talking in the moving truck, and we were talking about how he started his business when I was just a baby. And I remember him very clearly telling me, 
that for him, when he started his business, there was no option B. He and mm. his head had told himself, I will, I don't have a cop out. So I have to make my, this work. And so for me, that was huge moving out to San Diego because I was in the same situation of telling myself, I don't have a backup plan. But right. at the same time, I didn't want to create a backup plan because <laughs> I wanted to make the dancing work. Right. I knew I didn't want a typical nine to five job that just wasn't me. It's not what fueled my soul. So it was dancing. So I was telling myself, I'm moving to San Diego. I don't have a backup plan. I don't want one. I'm going to make this work. Somehow, some way, it's going to happen. I just made my mind up. And my dad's conversation with me was a real concrete moment for me to solidify that for myself. Mm. And so I started training. I started going to events, um, heavily involving myself with the circuit competitively, socially. And... The next step for me to really succeed was to get a partner, and it wasn't happening, wasn't happening. Got super frustrated. I set a timeline for myself. Right. If I don't have a partner by this date, I'm done with West Coast Swing. I'll find another avenue. I'll move back to L.A. and do the whole music video thing. Yeah. Well, at the same time, Psyche had came into my life or come into my life because of my mom. She was actually doing clinical hypnotherapy work, and then she transitioned into Psyche. And so she started working with me at the same time that the dance partnership wasn't coming together. And so through my frustration, that memory came back to me of that old studio owner telling me I would never amount to anything. Ah. And I realized that I wasn't achieving what I knew I could internally achieve because I was still holding that belief that wow. I would never amount to anything as a dancer. And so... Lo and behold, my mom is like a miracle worker for bringing <laughs> this amazing work into my life. And so she and I worked with that limiting belief. We very quickly transitioned it into, I don't remember what we balanced for. Balance is when you change old belief to new belief. Okay. But it was something to the effect of, I achieve my greatness in dancing or something like that. Okay. And then literally, I think within two to three months, I found a partner oh. um, very quickly. It was literally the night of the deadline I had set for myself. <laughs> I told myself if I didn't have a, a partner by January 1st of, what year was it? I don't know, 2012 or something like that, or 2013, I wasn't going to do West Coast Swing anymore. Wow. New Year's Eve. I found a partner. <laughs> he agreed to partner. Um, as it turns out, he wasn't the long-term partner, but he was the partner to, to keep me into yeah. West Coast Swing. Yeah. And at that time, after I started partnering with this individual, I was in love with the Psyche processes. And so I was working through my, if you, excuse me, shit as fast <laughs> as I could. And so I started diving deep into what was holding me back in my dancing. And I started doing what I call pre-work. Okay. which is even though he, this partner and I hadn't started competing yet, I started doing beliefs like my partner and I place in the top five in our competitions. We succeed very quickly, and I defined what success looked like for us mm. in my eyes and my perception. It wasn't the right partnership, so that, um, that fell through, but immediately I found my ideal partner, and a lot of the pre-work then immediately came into play. And as soon as I got this second partner... We literally were placing top five within our first two competitions. We oh, continued wow. to place top five. We started immediately getting hired domestically to teach workshop weekends and other events. From there, very quickly, we started getting hired internationally, which brings us up to today where um, we're, we're booked almost solid the entire year, um, every weekend teaching somewhere. And I truly believe that because of the work I started to do with Psyche, uh, believing in myself, knowing that I deserve greatness, knowing that I deserve to succeed at what I love, working with those beliefs and doing that pre-work at the same time working through the stuff that had been holding me back has absolutely brought me to where I'm at today. Oh, I believe so it. Yeah. That was a super long-winded answer, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> no, that was great. And it's I mean, it kind of encapsulates all the different chapters that you've been through. And I love hearing about the clear vision that you had, because that's, I think it's belief and vision of what you want to create that kind of culminate to actually mm -hmm. manifest, right? And Absolutely. we can't 
get one without the other and right. vice versa. So it's it's really, um, I think, pivotal to hear you verbalize it in that way. Um, my question for you then is what what was your most challenging belief to kind of unearth and then balance out, like you said? Was it that you won't amount to anything or was there something else deeper that you found that you'd be willing to share? Probably the one that unlocked everything was that belief, that statement that that instructor told me that I would never amount to anything as a dancer. Okay. Um, I would say that was pretty much at the core of where I was limiting myself subconsciously, didn't, you know, realize it. Um, And once I discovered that or basically remembered that and changed it, things like I said, started to fall into place very easily. Okay. At the same time that that belief poked its head out of the hole (laughs) or out of the ground, that it was still in the subconscious operating as a truth for me, I was also learning the processes of how to change my own limiting beliefs. So I transitioned from having to have my mom help me with that to actually being a facilitator of the processes. Oh, okay. So I was able to then do the processes with other people, but also with myself. And so at the same time that that reared its head, that I was still operating from that place of believing I couldn't amount to anything as a dancer, and I changed that, then I started to see other beliefs that were supporting that. And, you know, when you're talking about success, and for me, dance is a business now because it's my lifestyle. It's how I, I bring in an income. It's still a passion of mine, but there's money tied to it too. Mm-hmm. So I had to not only look at my beliefs about amounting to anything as a dancer, but beliefs about money and beliefs about being recognized in front of people. And like there's all these supporting beliefs yeah. that a person has when it comes to whatever it is they want to do in their life. Right. And so I started to uncover and change those beliefs once I understood what those were. Okay. I don't, does that answer your question? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Thank you. This thing that you love so much to transition into actually getting paid for what you love to do, was that a hard transition for you? Um, or what was that like? No, I wouldn't say it was hard transitioning into it because to me, money is just another form of energy that's exchanged. Like when you're, when I'm working with a person in a dance lesson, like with young Americans and I wasn't getting paid, I was still giving them my time, my energy, my knowledge, my wisdom. And payment for that to me was their smiles and to see them perform them the next two days. You know, that was like a payment for me. Mm -hmm. It it fueled my soul. And so when I started getting paid for, um, for dancing and teaching it, it was just like another form of of payment. Like it was just different. I will say what's been harder though is not so much that it's become a a full-time job for me and that money is associated with the dance, but rather last year actually, I started to realize that my my inner being is calling for the work of psyche more full-time than dance. Oh. And not, I don't feel like it's because of the money component because I'll be getting paid for the psyche work just like I'll be getting paid for the, the dancing work. Mm-hmm. But rather it's almost like the, the chapter of dance that's full time isn't where my energy wants to be anymore. Like I feel more fulfilled working with people in the psyche realm of things and working with their beliefs and helping them reconnect with their greater power than I do with the dance. Now, in some cases, if the person in dance is open to it, I can meld the two together and bring in that psyche work. But I'm finding that right now a lot of the way at least that it's set up and there might be some opportunity for me to change how I work with my dancing. But a lot of the individuals I'm connecting with in the dance world aren't really interested in looking at their own stuff, their own (laughs) personal things in their life. Um, It's brought to the surface with dance. It's like we said, dance is a tool to help bring that stuff to the surface. But those individuals don't seem to be willing to start to work on it. And I'm moving into a place where I really want to work with people who are ready to change their lives in a big way and to step into their power in a really big way, whatever that may look like. Right. For me, 
which was a big thing last year that I had to do some balances, belief balances around is that it's okay for me to have more than one dream and it's okay for my dream to change. Yeah. And it's okay that what I would consider because I'm 26, it's okay that I've achieved my dream that I wanted to at a younger age with dancing and it's okay for me to now to move into a new dream. And so last year was a, a big year for me to understand that because as weird as it may seem, I felt guilty that I wanted to achieve more than one dream. Oh, like, yeah. I, was, I get that. But I know that's – yes, I've struggled with that as well. Yeah. So it was really interesting last year when that started to you know, work its way to the surface and my feelings is that it's okay that dance isn't as um, energized for me as it used to be. I still enjoy it. I still love it. But it has shifted for me. And I think that's now because I'm starting to find within myself more of my greater purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for a while, dance, like you had said, sometimes beliefs serve you for a certain amount of time. And then you realize that it's time to grow into that next level. And for me, I feel like that's what dance has been. It's been a really, really amazing way for me to learn about traveling, working with people, seeing how much of the same we are, regardless of what part of the country or the world that you live in. And to understand from a much broader global aspect how people live their lives and the things that play into their lives. And that has prepared me through the tool of dance to now move into working with people in a different aspect with a different tool. Right. So I'm still going to be working with dance. I still have my whole year planned with dance. I don't foresee that you know, coming to a standstill because for me, movement and dance is very therapeutic. It's very meditative for me. Um, I still love it, um, but my heart is really now resonating and singing at a different vibration with the the belief work with people. Right, and i I don't think I don't think it has to be limited to dance as as just being on the floor. I mean, you're dan- you right. can be dancing through that work. You can be blending the two, like you said, mm-hmm. or I mean, this is what the whole podcast is about: is finding people's dances in every industry, in every walk of life. And it's not limited to just performance or social dancing or whatnot. So No, and I think that um, culturally, at least in the culture that I grew up with people in high school and stuff, there was always a lot of pressure from parents to choose your path in college, go to college for that particular career, and then stick to that career. Right. And so to me, I heard that all the time, not from my parents, but from surrounding um, outside sources to stick to that path. And so for me, last year when I was like, well, I don't know if I actually want to dance full time the rest of my life. Maybe I want to do this. There was an element to working through those cultural beliefs of what would be accepted or not accepted. Yeah, absolutely. And And I think that's changing from our that, you know, our parents generation had a very different career and job landscape than what we're working with. And yes, they were doing what was best for their time and giving us the best that they knew how. But as things have shifted and technology has come to play and the entire landscape of job hunting has shifted. And that's what my first book, Don't Settle, is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's going to be very different how we navigate. Some people know, so, like, like you said, dance you knew at a very young age and this dance may evolve for you. Other people I've interviewed knew they were going to be professional musicians from early, early on. Mm-hmm. And other people are still figuring it out even into, you know, later decades. So, and that's okay. I think that's beautiful too. I think for me, what I encourage people to do is like follow the breadcrumbs, Mm. start following with what brings you joy, what brings you that inner life source that makes you excited. And, you know, like for example, my mom, you know, she didn't always do the psyche work. She did lots of different stuff, but every chapter that she did or went through prepared her and readied her for what she's now doing. Yeah. And she learned so much along the way that's now serving her in a big way to work with people in a much bigger scale that she wouldn't be as effective as she is now if she didn't have the path that she had. So, but she kept following what brought her you know, excitement and joy. And through that path, it may be a little windy, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it brought her to where she is now, which is so powerful. And she's doing a lot of amazing work with people. So I really encourage other individuals to do that. 
Yeah, I think whatever it looks like. Exactly. I think it's a it's a misnomer or it's it's mislabeled that our career path is a straight line. I don't think anyone's right. has been honestly. It's it's a black swan case if so. But mm-hmm. for I mean those are the exceptions and to let yourself be okay with that journey and to understand like you said that each chapter serves to prepare you for the next and the next and the next. Mm-hmm. Then when we start to find value in each chapter, then it it can only help us. It's not ever going to be a side or a backward step. It's going to be pushing us forward if we use it to learn. Otherwise, yes. if we don't, that's our own fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but that's up to us. And like you said, our beliefs. So what I would love to ask you about is, you know, like you said, your parents were entrepreneurs. So did you have a different idea growing up? Like you, you kind of touched on, but I want to get specific here. And then what are your beliefs now about how you work and what your work brings you and what you give through your work? Beliefs that I grew up around work were, you know, I saw my my dad especially, you know, he enjoyed doing his financial planning business. That was what he did. And he loved it. And so I saw him commit to that full time. Um, and I never heard him complain about having to go to work, which I'm so grateful for. Because I think some people do hear their parents complain about having to go to work. Absolutely. So for me, getting to see my dad go do what he loved, I think planted that seed for me that I could go do what I loved in my life. Mm. And that, yes, sometimes like he would come home from his day at work and, you know, something challenging might have happened or, you know, there was a, a bobble that he had to work through, but it was never a work sucks. I hate work. It's something I have to do in order to live. It was just a, you know, I had to learn how to regroup. I had to learn how to approach the situation differently. I had to work through it, Hmm. but it wasn't, work was never a bad thing or a thing that he hated. Um, And I would say that set me up to help me go for what I wanted to do in my life and not have the misperception that work is all play 100% of the time, like there's an element obviously that you have to work through things and challenges, but those challenges can be like you said, Molly, growing opportunities or learning opportunities. They don't have to be these ugly things that you hate (laughs) doing or have to do. Um, So that was how my dad, I felt, approached it and planted seeds for me. And then with my mom, when she was remarried the second time, um, she had started a business with her second husband. Um, and I saw her not enjoy it. Mm. Um, and so it was after that marriage that she started to follow her own path and follow those breadcrumbs of what brought her joy. But during that chapter of her life, she was actually doing something she hated. And so that affected our family life greatly. And so I found myself thinking, I'm never going to do what she's doing, which is doing something that she does hate. Because then it really did become that work perception of work sucks. I don't like doing it. Um, it's a necessity, but it didn't bring her any joy. So that was a, an opportunity for me to see n- what I didn't want. Interesting. That's and I saw her helpful. very, very helpful. And I saw her not create boundaries. Like she would work up until we had to eat dinner and then she would go, the office was in the house. Um, and then I saw her go back to work and work until midnight, 1am after we'd gone to bed. Wow. And she did that a lot of my teenage years. And so for me, that that showed me what lack of boundaries looks like. That showed me how to bring work into your personal life outside of your business. And it showed me what it looked like because she was working with her husband at the time, what okay. that relationship looked like and how work can or cannot affect <laughs> the romantic relationship. And so I knew that that's what I didn't want. And so when I started having my own businesses, I make it a rule for myself that I don't work after, you know, 5 p.m. or whatever it is. Um, Some days that that changes depending on if I'm holding a session with somebody, it's the only time they can do one. But I make it a point to not work on weekends with the psyche work at least um, and to honor boundaries for myself and for my relationships in my life. Because I think if you let all of that work overwhelm you and consume you to a point that it's sucking the joy out of what you do, then you need to recreate some boundaries for yourself. 
I love that. And there's actually a book that is on my list to read about boundaries. Let me find it real quick. And how important that is. I think that idiom that we train people on how to treat us by the yes. way that we, you know, hold ourselves mm -hmm. is so true. And if we, like, I used to do that too at um, my old job where I would respond to emails all the time because I wanted to be on it. And mm -hmm. yet it told them that I was always available and I didn't, it didn't create space for me to have my own life really. Yeah. Um, and the book that a friend recommended, I guess it's called Boundaries for Marriage, but I think there's mm -hmm. one for um, for just normal life, too, and how to do it well instead of, you know, not being very tactful. But right. that's, that can be such a key component about mm -hmm. how we create space for us to feel balanced and then re-energize so we can go back to our work right. with, with some real substance and not feeling drained, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, work where I'm at now is the perception of work isn't for me something that I dread. You know, I don't mind working at something. To me, that's fun because I'm getting to grow from the, from the work. But I, in my personal life, always want to make sure that I'm receiving back whatever I'm putting in. Mm. And what and do you mean by that? That there is a balance there. Like with the dancing, I've started to realize that I've been and it's interesting that we're talking about the boundaries because at a dance event, basically it's an unspoken expectation from a lot of the individuals that hire us to be out social dancing very, very late. Right. And then be up the next morning teaching privates and teaching workshops and judging competitions. So for me, I let my boundaries slack in the dance world. And so I was putting so much time in and people um, – Sometimes at these events, forget that you're you're a human and you're not a <laughs> robot that just dances all the time. Yeah. And so I wasn't honoring my own boundaries to say, you know, I'll go social dance for an hour, two hours and dance with people that are going to really appreciate it and then go to bed, be rested and right. ready for the next day. I was letting myself get drained, which to me is an example of I wasn't getting back what I was putting in. Because okay. I was putting so much out that it wasn't fueling me anymore. It was draining me. Once I realized that I was doing that, I made sure I was going to bed earlier, not staying up until 7 a.m. Right. having to teach at 11 a.m. Um, <laughs> That's such a rough schedule. <laughs> yeah. But when I started laying those boundaries for myself and honoring them, then I was starting to get back what I felt like I was putting in, okay. which then entices me and energizes me to do it more. But it's yeah. in a much more balanced way rather than an imbalanced way. Oh, I love that. And I think that can be so useful for all of us to think about what is it that I'm doing that doesn't serve me? Do I stay up working too late and then I'm drained in the morning and can't be fresh? Mm -hmm. In which case, can I set a boundary that I don't work past 8 p.m. or whatever it is? Right. And then get to bed early and actually have a morning routine and mm -hmm. that kind of a beautiful way to start the day and be ready. It just it can be a total game changer, which yeah. sounds like it was for you, too. It was. And it's amazing with the individuals that I work with, the belief change processes, how hard it is for people to gift themselves that time or those boundaries. Absolutely. Um, so I always work a lot with people of it's okay to set boundaries and I deserve to gift myself time and love and pampering or whatever yeah. it is because we're so used to in our culture giving, giving, giving right. and being on call all the time. That's not necessarily your job, but being on call in a relationship or as a parent or in a job that I think it's important that people learn that it's okay for them to set those boundaries and to honor them because it will only, in my belief, fuel them. It will only fill their cup mm -hmm. so that they can have something to give as opposed to giving from a dry cup. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And actually, speaking of a couple things, does the psyche work? It sounds like it would work for anything, but does it work for relationships and for health and for, you know, all walks of life? Yes, it doesn't. I've worked with people with many different religious viewpoints. Um, we do nothing to change your beliefs uh, religiously or spiritually. It has nothing to do with those beliefs. For some people, 
the way that they are brought up in a religious manner have created other challenges for them. Mm -hmm. And if they want to work on some things there, we can, but it's, it's really working with relationships, money, J O B. It's, it's literally everything that you want to work on. Anything and everything is, is game. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It it sounds like it without compromising the work that you do. Would you be willing to give my listeners maybe a few tips on basic belief changing like that process or something they could run themselves through? Sure. Um, I would highly recommend that if there's an area of your life that you don't like or isn't where you want it to be, to um, instead of focus on what you don't want, it's important to know what you do want. Those are two totally separate things. Yeah. Very, very different. So I would highly encourage you to write it out on your on a piece of paper or do a note section in your phone or computer, Google Doc, that list what you do want and create a picture. Like people say, well, I want to be happy. Okay, well, what does happy look like? Uh, All right, I want to live in a house. Okay, well, what does the house look like if they're in an apartment? So get really descriptive with your words. I want to wake up in the morning to um, lots of natural light coming in from my window that's facing east or whatever, and I see flowers in the garden, and I get up, I go make myself a pot of coffee, I go sit down on the couch for 30 minutes, like get really descriptive of what you want your life to look like. And then continue to add to it, allow it to grow an important, important dream big. Don't limit Mm. yourself. Really allow yourself to paint a picture of what you truly, truly want. And as you're doing that on another piece of paper that you can keep adding to is throughout the day, catch yourself listening to that inner voice. And just write down, without judgment, what it is that you're hearing yourself say. Is it things like, I can do this, or this is easy, this is fun. Then you can feel like, okay, I'm on the right path, because that inner voice is helping me understand that I'm giving myself that joy. Or is it things like, this sucks, I can't do this, I'll never achieve this, so-and-so never appreciates me. Listen to those things too, because if you're hearing those things, that those are the beliefs that you're operating from. Mm-hmm. And from there, if you hear things like, I'm not worthy or I don't deserve, absolutely write those things down. And then if you're comfortable with it, write down the opposite. So instead of I'm not worthy of blank, write down I am worthy of blank. Awesome. You can use those positive life enhancing statements as affirmations affirmations though only work in the conscious mind and so that's why some people get so frustrated when their affirmations don't change their outer reality Mm -hmm. and that's because the affirmations you're not working at a subconscious level which is where you have to reprogram the beliefs right and so um there's different ways you can do it like i mentioned i do the processes of psyche um, which can i can do with people over the phone skype in person i can do it virtually anywhere Good. Um, we'll get your information too so people can yeah. connect with you. Cool. So you can do lots of different ways um, to change different to change your subconscious beliefs. I've had people do tapping. I've had mm-hmm. people do um, neuro-linguistic programming and lots sure. of different avenues. I've had several people say this has been, the Psyche has been the most effective and the quickest way. So I personally haven't done tapping. I have done hypnotherapy. So it's just a matter of finding what works for you to change your beliefs. And not one way is better than the other. It's just, you know, sometimes you need a hammer. Sometimes you need a screwdriver. Sometimes (laughs) you need scissors. You just got to find what works for you in the chapter that you're in. Yeah. But really, if you really want to change your life, go to where the beliefs are held, which is the subconscious, and work with the beliefs. And affirmations can be used as beliefs, but if you're just repeating them to yourself, that's important. You definitely need to include your conscious mind in the process of transformation, but you also need to include the subconscious mind because it's a whole system. It's true. So you can't have the greatest outcome if you're only using, you know, 50% of the solution that's available to you. Ooh, I like that way of putting it. Yeah. It's, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, for, for those who like the Bible, um, just that idea that the truth will set you free. I mean, what I mm-hmm. think Tashina's saying is that beliefs, the limiting beliefs are inherently not true. 
And that's right. what I love about it. It's that it's not that you're ever a victim to your own story or that that becomes has to become your identity that and I've worked through a lot of beliefs too, both in my religious kind of paradigm and then mm -hmm. consciously through some leadership and conscious work there with, yeah, touching on NLP and things like that. But either way, I mean, truth with a capital T is that thing that's true all the time. And that yes. I think is what we're getting to is your essence is who you really are. It's the pure part of who you are and anything that's downgrading or disempowering is not actually part of your essence. It's a belief. And that is what Tashina works with and helps shed. And that idea that the truth of the capital T is what sets you free is all we're trying to do is get back mm -hmm. to that, which I just, I love. And that, that to me feels very solid and it's not going to change. It's not going to be, you know, shifted by a new job or a new relationship or when someone passes on or anything like that, that doesn't change. It's right. unshakable. And that's who you really are, which that's where it comes down to. And I just wanted to, if it helps the listeners, a mentor of mine shared this idea of thought check. And so mm -hmm. as you were saying, you know, writing down what your inner monologue is saying, you know, if it helps to set reminders on your phone or your calendar to say thought check and just have that moment to say, oh, what am I noticing right now? What is my right. thought? What are the contents of my thought? And is this helping or not? And that thought check idea just is a cute way to bring that back and keep it fresh and say, okay, is this a good, does this thought help me? And if not, right. I can discard it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that, Molly. Uh, well, oh gosh, I just looked at the time. How did that go so fast? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, let's wrap up a little bit here, but a couple of my last questions that I love to ask, and it sounds like your work really fills you up and gives you a lot of satisfaction and growth and variety. Um, mm -hmm. But how would you say you like to enjoy your time outside of quote unquote work? I love being outside. I find that going into nature is very peaceful and calming and grounding. And I think we can learn a lot from nature. Um, returning back to the, the simplicity of what has of what's always been true around us. Mm. So that really fuels my cup, refills it quite a bit. I love doing things like Pilates and yoga. I love talking to people and just hearing about their lives, getting to know people. There's just so many pe amazing, amazing people in the world. And to get to witness their life and cheerlead them on and support them, even if it's just a smile throughout their day, it really is important to me to help our world heal and grow and become, to help each person become their greatest version of themselves, to be the most empowered version of themselves because it's like a ripple effect. Absolutely. When you're, when you're living your truth and your power, you're inspiring others to do the same. And then that way we're all lifting one another up, helping mm -hmm. each other um, become the greatest version of themselves. And so anything that I can interact with people, I just love that. So creative stuff, like I'm going to a paint and wine night tonight. That'll oh, be fun. quite fun. <laughs> trying new things. I'll say that. Trying new things. Even Great. if it's not in my comfort zone, trying it because you can always learn and meet amazing people from it. I love that. I love that. Well, and speaking of other people who, well, people or books or blogs, who or where do you go for inspiration? Can I just say everywhere? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, yeah, everywhere. I mean, I've read some really amazing books. Um, there's some books by Dr. Bruce Lipton, The Psychology of Belief and The Honeymoon Effect, which are amazing. Um, I absolutely love working with the psyche work with fertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and parenting. Mm. So there's Conscious Parenting book that I've really loved by Dr. Shafali Tsabari. Gosh, there's other books too. So anything, like I said, that brings you joy, um, I would encourage people to, you know, look up books or blogs or talk shows on those subjects because you can learn some amazing things. So I tend to go to research areas like that that I love and then see what books are out there and what people are talking about for sources, sources of inspiration. Great. Great. And I might have you write some of those down and we'll include it in the show notes so that okay. people can follow those. Um, yeah. Thank you. You're and welcome. what are you most grateful for today? Uh, I'm really grateful for this. 
we've been talking about this for a while, get, yeah. getting together and doing this. So to finally have this happen is a wonderful gift. Um, but I, every morning, just wake up and I'm grateful that I have another day to learn more about myself and to learn and help others do the same. So every day I'm, I'm grateful that I get to go explore and live and experience whatever it is that shows up that day. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. What a way to wake up too. Yeah, it's, it's empowering. It sets your day off for a good start. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. And actually for those who have iPhones or phones where you can put a label on your alarm clock, I like using that label to put something inspiring or to ask a question, you know, like what what can I do to serve today or what can I be grateful for this morning? So as you're hitting the your phone to turn off the alarm, if that's what you use, that's a fun way to kind of start your day with that mindset. Instead, I of, like that. Yeah, it's kind of a fun way. I like I like to think of the universe and the ever powers as God. And so mm-hmm. one of my questions when I set my alarm is, what does God know about me today? Nice. And just listening for that message. So I love, cool. yeah, little, little iPhone hacks for more spiritual living. Um, <laughs> but that's, oh, that's great. Um, and before my last question, Tashina, where can people find you online and connect with you if they want to? Sure. Um, for the Psyche Belief Change realm of things, you can find me at empoweredtogreatness.com. That's E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D, the number two, empoweredtogreatness.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook there. Um, and if you're interested in the dancing side of things, you can go to pjtashina.com. Um, that's PJ like pajamas, uh, Tashina, T-A-S-H-I-N-A.com. And you can look at um, my dancing there. And uh, just Facebook too. You can always connect with me in a private message there. So anyway, would be perfect. Yeah. And she's also uh, Tashina and PJ and a bunch of people are online. So if you just search Tashina Beckman, then mm-hmm. you can find a bunch of videos to yes to satiate your dancing fix. (laughs) Um, Great. Well, and my last question that I love to finish with is what's your definition of living your dance? Living your dance is stepping out into the world with full belief and confidence in the gift or gifts that you have to offer the world. And if you don't know what those are, that's okay. But to continue every day to take one step to discover and remember what it is that you came into the world with. And that doesn't have to be in a grand way or what you would perceive as grand. It can be something what you would perceive as small because perception is perception. What is small to you could be huge to somebody else. And so if you just continuously every day commit to discovering and rediscovering your gifts and to go out there and live it fully, to dance it, as big as you can, I think you are doing a beautiful job in honoring yourself and honoring what you came here to do. Dang. That was good. That was real good. <laughs> Man, well, Tashina, I'm so grateful that you are on the show today and the way you live your life and your dance is beautiful and inspiring. And I'm excited to keep talking about all of this offline and Yes. Um, Keep that conversation going. But I hope this was helpful and I'm sure it will be helpful to the listeners. So thank you for your time and for your thoughtful energy and for all that you're doing. Well, thank you, Molly. It's it's a joy to be here and support you and you living your dance, too. You're a beautiful source of inspiration as well, my friend. Mm. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks again for tuning in and listening today. I really appreciate everyone who comes in and shares this with me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and got some nuggets of wisdom or new insights out of it. I'm also really looking forward to bringing you more episodes. And you can help me by liking, sharing, leaving a review, telling your friends about the show, all of the above. And be sure to stay tuned to my posts on social media. Or you can also sign up on my website, mollyking.com, for direct updates 
about my upcoming books. My first book, Don't Settle, is currently available in ebook and Kindle format on Amazon and my website, mollyking.com. But soon, it'll be available in paperback. So stay tuned for that. And my next book called Live Your Dance will also be a collection of wisdom and good nuggets from the show, plus some exclusive content. And I'll also be sharing some of my own insights from years of living my own dance. That'll be available later this year in 2016. So there's a lot to look forward to. Thank you again for being here. I'll sign off now, but until next time, be sure to live your dance.